Did you know that there are creatures so incredibly complex that their very nature defies the concept of evolution? For more information, stay tuned for an interview with Dr. Job Martin, an expert on the issue of evolution versus creation. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Once again this week, for the fourth week in a row, we're going to focus on the creation versus evolution debate. And once again, I'm pleased to have as my special guest, Dr. Job Martin, founder and director of Biblical Discipleship Ministries in Rockwall, Texas. Dr. Martin, you have really blessed us these last three weeks. I want to thank you again for sharing your time with us, and we're delighted to have you back. It's been a blessing for us. And we're going to be praying for your ministry, and we want you to put us on your prayer list to pray for us. You've got it. All right. Thank you. And once again this week, folks, we have with us uh, Nathan Jones, who is our newest staff member here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, and he is our web minister. And uh, he is the fellow who corresponds with you when you write in uh, asking questions about Bible prophecy. Nathan, glad to have you back oh, with us. It's great to be here with you and, and Dr. Martin. Amen. Man behind all these videos and books. <laughs> Dr. Martin, uh, speaking of videos, you've produced several video programs in the past called Incredible Feet, uh, Creatures That Defy Evolution. And I want you to know. I saw those, and they really defy evolution. But we're going to ask you in a few minutes uh, what that means. Uh, First of all, uh, I understand you've just recorded a new version of that. We did. We just finished uh, Creation Proclaims, The Glory of God Revealed. Okay. And and these will be different in that instead of me just talking about the animals and then having pictures of them, I'm actually with the animals. I understand in one you even have a snake around your neck. Well, I didn't volunteer for that. (laughs) (laughs) They just came out with this big boa constrictor and just put it on me. So what do you do? The cameras are on and what are you supposed to do? So, so you actually have the animals there. That, yes. that's really, now when, when would this video be available? Well, uh, we're hoping it's going to be available in Christmas of 2008, but it might be more like January. Okay. So um, we will. Uh, people can find out about that by going to your website and we'll tell them a little bit more about that later on. Okay? Sure enough. Well, let's go back to this, this title, Incredible Creatures That Defy Evolution. What in the world do you mean by that? Well, uh, as I said, I think on our first show, when I, when I became a believer uh, in the Lord Jesus, I went from being an agnostic Zen Buddhist evolutionist to being a theistic evolutionist. I still had the Big Bang, the billions of years. <laughs> and then I gave that lecture at Baylor Dental College on the evolution of the tooth from fish scales, and these students challenged me. And so we started to study. And they wanted me to study creation science. And so I'm reading my Bible. We're studying the assumptions that the evolutionists make, which I discovered they aren't valid when we're talking origins. And then we're studying animals. I was a biology major. And the first animal that these students uh, called to my attention, this is 1971, was the bombardier beetle. And it's just a little half-inch bug. We have them here in Texas. And it, oh, it, they're here? I didn't really, know that. Yeah. I thought they were in some esoteric place like Madagascar. Oh, yeah. No, we've got them here. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a black variety. But they shoot their enemies. Like if a frog or a spider or a hop toad gets, gets close to them, they're going to shoot it. And uh, with fiery well, they hot shoot gases. It well, they, they mix some chemicals. As a matter of fact, when they mix these chemicals, they won't do anything. They're like in neutral. So that would mean it doesn't have a defense mechanism. If evolution is true and it's trying to evolve along, all the spiders would eat it. It wouldn't be here. 
but it has another little chemical factory down inside itself that makes exactly, precisely the right chemical catalyst so that when it squirts that into this solution and won't do anything, it, you get this violent reaction. And so if, if he didn't have some more equipment, he just splattered himself. <laughs> And, of course, splattered bug pieces can't evolve. So that would be the end of the beetle. But we have him because he has like an asbestos line firing chamber. But even if he had that, boom, he's gone. If he doesn't have somewhere for the explosion to go, but he does, twin tail tubes, he can aim those tubes out the back, out the side, out the front. And when you hear uh, him shoot, it's like a pop. Oh. It, it's just like that. But that's not what it is. They put that pop in slow motion, and it's like, it's oh. like a sequential, uh, a sequential boom. And they figured out why. Because he's got these little tiny feet, and if he shoots, let's say, out the side, and he goes bang, and it's not like that, his feet couldn't hold on. He'd blow himself right out of the picture. So our Lord, the Creator, made him so that he can shoot in any direction. All right. Now, why does this defy evolution? Well, I think what, what I'm thinking is... There's no way he could evolve little bits and pieces at a time because he'd be dead every time. Mm -hmm. uh, he is, I think we mentioned earlier, he's irreducibly complex. He, he, has, he needs all his parts. They all have to work. They all have to be fully functional. He couldn't develop this complex mechanism over millions of years because he, as you said, would be eaten long before then. Yeah, he would be either eaten or if he got some of the mechanism, he'd blow himself up. Yeah. So either way, there's no way he could evolve. So in that sense, I think it defies evolution. Well, give us another example. Well, the second one that we looked at, which I really enjoy talking about, is a giraffe. And you talk about a bull giraffe, uh, 18 feet tall. All right, and it has a huge pump to pump the blood up that long, skinny neck against gravity, the, the heart. The heart of a bull giraffe can weigh up to 25 pounds. That's like a big turkey. And it can be almost two and a half feet long. It's a powerful pump. And when it squeezes, it shoots that blood up that long, skinny neck against gravity. Now we've got a problem. He's going to bend his head down to get a drink of water. Yeah, pass out, I guess. Well, all well, the blood... The heart squeezes and the blood goes zoom and hits and blows his brains out his ears and, and he's dead. And so he, he must be thinking, i got a problem. When I get a drink of water, I blow my brains out. Okay, I better evolve something here to fix this. Well, of course, dead animals don't evolve. But anyway, it doesn't blow his brains out. Why? Because as he comes down, there's like little spigots, little valves in the artery that goes up the neck. They close. There's a, when his head is down, there's like a sponge under the brain. And it gently expands. Hasn't blown his brains out. He gets, he gets his drink of water, and he sees a lion coming up. i got to get out of here. He's going to eat me. He jumps up. He runs about three steps, passes out. Not enough oxygen to the brain. The lion eats him. He's there. I, I got another problem. I pass out when I get up too fast. The lions eat me. You know, well, dead animals don't evolve. Don't, they can't fix it. Well, anyway, but he doesn't pass out. Because as he comes up, our creator, the Lord Jesus, has those valves open. The sponge under the brain gently squeezes that last pump of oxygenated blood up into his brain, and he's doing just fine. Only God could do that. And they still say in the textbooks that the giraffe got his long neck because all the food had run out, and he's trying to eat up here in the trees. And I'm saying, okay, good. But what about Mrs. Giraffe? She's two feet shorter. What about baby giraffe? If all the food is gone and he's got to stretch up here to eat out of the top of the tree... What's baby giraffe going to eat after, after they're weaned from their mama? Uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. Millions of years between meals. Yeah, that would and, be and, it. And what is the term now you use here? It's irreducible? Irreducible complexity. Okay. It's like we reduce fractions down, and you can't reduce them down anymore. Uh, complexity, all the different parts that are needed. 
And so they're irreducible. You can't take them down anymore. They need all these parts, and all the parts have to be fully functional. You can't have a partially formed heart or a partially formed valve or a partially formed sponge. They have to all be there. They have to all be fully functional, or you don't have a giraffe. Now, you mentioned that uh, in this new video you've produced that you had a snake around your neck at some point. What were you illustrating with the snake? Well, there are several things. Uh, we had a python and we had a boa constrictor, both of them big snakes. And it's You didn't have a Texas rattlesnake? Well, we have a Mojave Desert rattlesnake, which is supposed to be the most vicious type rattlesnake. Oh, I wish we had a Texas rattlesnake. Uh, you know, they get pretty big. You know, you can get an eight-footer. Uh, but anyway... The python, for instance, around its lips, in between the scales, it has sensory organs that can sense heat in like a live animal that they want to eat. And they are so sensitive that it can be a pitch black night and it can go right to that whatever it is it wants to eat and strike it and never misses and mm. that can't see a thing. It's just the heat sensors in its lips that tell, us, tell it wow. exactly what to do. And, you know, you've seen a snake... Their, their fourth tongue yes, comes yes. out. They don't have to open their mouth to do that. There's a groove in the lower, in the lower jaw that lets them stick out their tongue because they're crawling around in the dirt. Yeah. And if they had to open their mouth to get their tongue out, which is sensing, it's picking up molecules of things, uh, they would fill their mouth up with dirt all the time. And so God made them so that they can get that tongue out there. When they bring it back in, they touch it to an organ on the roof of their mouth called Jacobson's organ. And it tells them exactly which molecules that they're tasting. And they can follow a prey uh, just by tasting the, the dust and stuff as they get toward it. This is miraculous things. All right. Now give us an example from the ocean. You've talked about land uh, animals. What yes. about ocean? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, on this new video, we, we have some nudibranchs. They're a sea slug. These things are amazing. They're psychedelic colors. They, they are beautiful things. And what one of them does, it will eat like an anemone, another sea creature. And that creature has little, uh, like, stinging cells. They shoot like little darts. And it will eat this thing, but it doesn't set off the darts. And it'll digest what oh, it wants no. to eat. Anything else that touches this anemone will set off these darts, but not the nudibranch. So it gets up, it eats the whole thing, digests the food part, takes those darts, transfers them through tubes out to its own back and into its gill structures, and then it uses the defense mechanism of the animal that it ate as its own defense mechanism. No. Yeah, it's like it wow. cannibalizes this animal to use, uh, it recycles these these stinging cells, and it potentiates them. They're stronger once they get out through the back of the, of the nudibranch than they are when they're in the anemone. Uh, it's miraculous things. Isn't it amazing what can just happen accidentally? <laughs> just give it enough time, and it'll happen. That's what I hear all the time. Just give it enough time, yeah. and that, that monkey will sooner or later uh, type Shakespeare. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and what they don't tell you about that is, if that's true, you'd also have to have a delete key for everything they touch. <laughs> because it's, there's a 50-50 chance here, one way or the other. <laughs> well, uh, we have about one minute in this session. Tell us, uh, uh, Give us an example of one of these creatures that's flying. Well, uh... We have an owl on this last DVD, and an owl is, is silent when it flights, when it flies. 
And how? All other birds, you can yeah, hear their hear wings. flapping of the wings. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, they're going to find their prey mainly by hearing. Yes. And, they're, and they're, they have that circle of feathers around their face that are special feathers that channel the sound into their ear holes. And their ear holes are not those things up here. Their ear holes are right under their eyes, and they're not at the same level. Hmm. And they get the sound in at one-thirtieth uh, of a millionth of a second at a different rate. All right? And that tells them exactly where this is. But... If their wings made noise, they couldn't hear the sound. Oh, like yeah. They can hear a mouse crawling around a, a great gray owl. Two feet of snow. There can be a mouse under two feet of snow. It can hear it. It can't <laughs> see it. It'll dive down right on it. Okay? Well, they've got this little fringe of tiny little hairs that go up the sides of the feathers that somehow God made those things so those little hairs deflect the wind across there in such a way that the owl flies with silent flight. Now, that is fascinating. I've never heard that before. Yes. Where does that come from? If there isn't a God that designed that and made that, how would evolution produce that? I don't see any way. The book, The Evolution of a Creationist, is a layman's guide to the conflict between the Bible and evolutionary theory. Author Dr. Job Martin shares that while on the faculty of Baylor College of Dentistry, he was challenged by his students to study the little-known assumptions of the theory of evolution. This book chronicles his personal journey from traditional evolutionist to a creationist. Dr. Martin's scientific and medical training was revolutionized as he studied animals that challenged the scientific assumptions of his education. The evolution of a creationist takes a look at animals that break all the evolutionary rules. Dr. Martin presents 10 marvels of God's creation. The bombardier beetle, the incubator bird, the garden spider, the gecko lizard, the giraffe, the anglerfish, the beaver, the chicken egg, the chuckwalla lizard, and the woodpecker. It examines the many problems with evolutionary theory and shows why the Bible is an excellent book of science. This book can be yours for a gift of $15 or more. Shipping is free of charge. To get a copy, visit lamblion.com and look for product number P72. back to our uh, interview with Dr. Job Morton, who is the founder and director of Biblical Discipleship Ministries. And uh, Dr. Morton is an expert on the evolution-creationist debate, and we're just having a ball uh, interviewing him, Nathan Jones and I. Uh, Dr. Morton, I, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the human body. I mean, uh, these creatures that God has created are absolutely remarkable, and I thank you for sharing that. But, hey, we're pretty remarkable, too. And uh, so let's just talk about the eye for a moment. Even Darwin recognized how fantastic the human eye is. I want to read you a statement by Darwin. He said, to suppose that the eye, with all of its inimitable contrivances uh, for adjusting the focus for different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. What else can you say about that? <laughs> it is. I mean, the way it takes the light, and, and we can't make binoculars, we can't make glasses that can duplicate what our eyes can do. I mean, we can be focused up, focused long, focused short. Uh, they're designed so even though we have two eyes, you can only look at one thing at a time, and it's a small amount that you really can focus on. Everything else is kind of not in focus in the sense that you, you like if if everything we looked at was in a, exactly the same focus. You're reading a page, 
and all the words would be right in front of you. And, and so we have to be able to do it that way. When we walk, you kind of do this when you walk. God made two special muscles. They're involuntary. As we walk, the, the, your horizon stays the same out there because you turn your head, but the horizon doesn't do this because the eyes are just doing this as you walk. And so there's all these things built in to everything. Ears, eyes, nose, mouth, teeth, everything. That I, I mentioned to you previously uh, off camera that I saw a video recently about a little girl who cut her finger. They were telling all the things the human body does when you have a cut to keep you from bleeding to death. Well, not only that. Why don't they clot? Why doesn't your blood clot inside your body? It only clots clots when you cut, and here you go. Uh, unless you have some pathological condition that uh, you get a clot in there, but then you got problems, yeah. and that, so that doesn't really happen. You think of all the billions of people, and and how many on any given day would have a clot in the wrong place? No, almost no, no, almost no, uh, none of that. Well, this also reminds me of something that you mentioned in your book uh, called The uh, Evolution of a Creationist. And how I was fascinated by it. You called it the anthropic principle. Now, what, what is that? Well, the anthropic principle is basically it looks like our earth was, was made with man in mind. Yeah. I mean, the earth has just the right size to produce just the right amount of gravity. It's just the right distance from the moon. And the moon is just the right size in relationship to planet Earth so that the tidal patterns work right and other things. And then our Earth-Moon system is exactly the right distance from the sun, which is exactly the right size so that it produces exactly the right amount of heat and we don't burn up or freeze up. Uh, when you just look at the constants in nature, they, they, there's, there's no room for error in there. The, the, the air is made of just the right... But, but, but what you don't understand, Dr. Morton, is that this is just an amazing series of, uh, of circumstances, of coincidences. And accidents. Yes, it's just Billions accidents. of billions of accidents. <laughs> yes. All working together to work. All they... Yes. This explosion caused everything to work out absolutely perfectly for life. To me, that doesn't even make sense. Oh, it used to, but it doesn't anymore. Well, Nathan, you had a question about um, some of the things that are going on today among evolutionists. Certainly. Well, I was watching that Ben Stein movie, Expelled, and at the very end, he gets one of the leading evolutionists, Richard Dawkins, to, on his own, say, uh, well, I think life probably must have happened by intelligent design from aliens from another planet. And we're starting to see a, a migration of evolutionists say, well, if there is intelligent design, it comes from aliens. What do you think of that? Well, you hear that all the time, and that doesn't answer the question. The question is, where does life come from? How did it get started out there? You know, it started <laughs> somewhere. Them? I mean, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, that, that just removes uh, the question from where we can test it. Mm -hmm. So they've said, well, we'll put it out there somewhere. Well, how do you test that? You know, you can't get out there to see where it happened. And so, yeah, that's just But doesn't a, this illustrate the desperation of evolutionists in their current arguments? Oh, I think it does. I think it does. It's like in that movie Expelled. The, one of the scientists says, well, life came in. It was molecules riding on crystals. Well... <laughs> Where did the molecules come from? Where did the crystals come from? Where did the life come from in the molecule that's riding on the crystal? You know, it doesn't answer any questions. Hmm. No, it, it doesn't. And, and it just, you wonder what they're going to re, uh, revert to next. Uh, now, that, now we're off this planet, onto other planets, and, and uh, where does all this end? I mean, it, when do you just finally say, we don't have an argument here? Yes, well, I think that's when you come and you just bow down before your Creator and say, okay, Lord, I've looked at all this. There's no way it makes sense apart from you. 
And that's what he wants us to do. That's general revelation. We study the creation, study what God has made, and that should bring us to our knees before God. What do we do then? We go into the Bible to find out about this God. And that was kind of my life. I looked at everything. Oh, yeah, evolution is true. Well, wait a minute. Maybe it isn't true. What am I going to do? The Bible had the answers. So general revelation, the creation, should take us to special revelation or specific revelation, the Word of God, and that should lead us to redemption. Well, it's so difficult, though, when you've invested so much of your life into a particular philosophy, into a particular theory, and to even to the point of saying it's no longer a theory, it is a proven fact. To try to back off from that is very difficult. Oh, boy. Uh, And I'll tell you who's the worst. Geologists. I just love those guys. But they are so steeped in the idea that those rock layers had to take billions of years. They just, praise God, some of them get the point. But they're tough. Let me give you an example. We have a member of our board of trustees who is a graduate of Stanford University. Uh, He was one of the most brilliant students that Stanford uh, ever had. Hmm. He got his Ph.D. at a very early age. He was their most outstanding student. At age 35, he was selected the most outstanding research scientist in the United States. He is now a research scientist for General Electric in the field of MRI research. Hmm. When he got into his Ph.D. oral exams... They discovered that he was a believer in God and a believer in a young earth, and they were astonished. How can you go through our program and come out a believer in these things? And he said, I just looked at the evidence, and I said, what is the best explanation of the evidence? And the best explanation of the evidence is special creation. They refused to give him his degree. I can believe it. Mm -hmm. But... On the threat of a suit, since they had nothing to stand on, since he was their most outstanding student, uh-huh. they had to give him his degree. Isn't that but something? let me tell you, they were going to fight him on, over this. Yes. And they could not imagine that. And yet he did it by looking at the evidence and saying, the evidence, the best explanation is special creation. Yes. Well, that's what it is. When you look at the evidence, the hard, true scientific evidence, not the evidence based on assumptions. You look at the evidence, and there's only one option. There's got to be a designer, and he's got to be all-powerful, all-knowledge, and it has to be the God of the Bible. And, you know, one of the things that's impressed me, too, is with incredible catastrophes like Mount St. Helens, we've learned firsthand how rapidly some of these things can happen that people have argued must take millions of years to happen, right? Well, yeah. One, one example is the uh, what they call polystrata fossils, trees. And on the top of the lake, uh, Spirit Lake, all these dead trees, they began to float with the trunk end, uh, the root end down as they got waterlogged. Then they dropped to the bottom. And then five days later, another one drops to the bottom. But now some sediment's filled in, so it's up higher. Well, they used to say, well, that takes thousands of years. You had an ancient forest and an ancient sea and then another ancient forest and another ancient sea. No, we're watching it happen. What, 28 years later, we're seeing the the whole organization of polystrata fossils. So, yes, all kinds of things like that. Just just they dated the rocks, the the lava rocks up there. Same thing. Their, Their dating techniques do not work. Dr. Martin, I want to thank you once again for being with us in this series of programs. You've blessed us immensely. I know you've blessed our viewers. And as we bring this series of programs to a close, I'd like for you to tell our viewers once again how they can get in touch with your ministry. Well, you can get in touch with us by going on our web, www.biblicaldiscipleship.org or uh, evolutionofacreationist.com. And through that, they can... uh, 
find out the materials that your ministry has produced. They can order them that way, and they can also contact you in terms of invitations to uh, come and speak. Yes. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. Well, Nathan, one last question. Well, again, I want to thank you for coming. Uh, Wow, it's just great to meet the guy. I've learned so much from you in the classes. Uh, Can you share with me, and I guess everyone out there who's learning, why do you feel that it's important to believe the biblical account of creation? Why is it so vital? Maybe a summary. Well, I think the first point is, who determines truth? Is it God or is it man? If it's God, then where do we find His truth? In His Word. He says His Word is truth, and it's that truth that will set us free. It's that truth that sanctifies us. Well, if we go to the creation account in Genesis, and we say, well, you know, we can't really take that literally. Well, and how much of the rest of the Bible do we say, I don't really have to take that literally. And that moves right into Bible prophecy. Well, if we don't take those early chapters of Genesis literally, we don't have to take Bible prophecy literally. And so all of a sudden, we have wishy-washy ideas about the Bible. We can believe those early chapters of Genesis. Jesus is the Creator. If Jesus is not the Creator, and He didn't do it like He says He did it, and this is His Word, Genesis is, is His Word, well, then can we believe him when he tells us that he died for our sins? Hmm. So I don't think so. And I think that's one of the reasons we're losing so many of our kids. Our kids are raised in homes, and dad and mom, we believe in Jesus. Well, do you believe in the creation? Well, no, we, 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 we're theistic evolutionists, or we're progressive creationists. And all of a sudden, our young people are saying, oh, I guess you can't really trust the Bible as, it, as, as it's just the common, ordinary way to read it. And we're losing them. We're losing up to 88% published figures by the end of four years of college. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely crucial that we understand this issue and then realize almost every false worldview is based on evolution. Without evolution, you don't have it. But evolution robs God of His glory. It steals His praise. God says, I created. Here's how I did it. I did it in six days. And, and we say, I don't, I don't think I believe that. So I think the crucial thing is, is God's Word truth? And if, if we say it is, and we do as a Christian, this, this Word is God's truth, well then, let's believe it from page one, which we can do. We can trust it. There's no science that is testable, verifiable, experimentally reproducible, falsifiable science that discredits anything this book says. Not any. There's, there's not one scientific experiment anywhere that's a true experiment, not based on assumptions that are false, that will discredit and disprove the Bible. We can trust it. The fact of the matter is, there was only one person present when the creation occurred. And that was God Almighty Himself. An eyewitness. An eyewitness. <laughs> so we have really an eyewitness account here. Well, yeah, we have a triple eyewitness. The God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He says all we need is two to make it right. <laughs> well, that, that, is, that is certainly true. Well, uh, Dr. Martin, as we bring the program to a close, uh, how about uh, just looking in that camera again and speaking to someone out there who may not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I would encourage you, get a Bible. Start reading. Read the book of John. Uh, Realize, okay, here is what the Bible says. And then just pray. I did. Lord Jesus, you show me. You show me what's true. And if it's true, I'm going to believe it. And then realize you're a sinner. We're all sinners. Maybe you're a new ager. Maybe, maybe you think there's no such thing as sin. You're a sinner. We do things that are evil. They go against what God says. He says that even while we're sinners, Christ died for us. 
So I would encourage you, put your faith and trust in Jesus. Believe in Him. Uh, Invite Him to be your Savior. Ask Him to forgive your sins. Receive Him as your Savior. He is your resurrected Lord. He is your resurrected Savior and Creator. And He loves you. Thank you, Dr. Martin. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope this series has been much of a blessing to you as it has been to me. Hope you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 